Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is January 10th, 2017. Wow, the last year just flew by. I'm really happy and excited to have Dr. Joe Gerstein on today. Joe Gerstein was the founding president of the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Self-Help Network, which is Smart Recovery, in 1994. He introduced rational recovery into the greater Boston area, and then oversaw its spread throughout Massachusetts. In 1994, he participated in the creation of the new nonprofit entity, Smart Recovery. Um, Dr. Gerstein practiced internal medicine and pain management at Harvard Affiliated Hospital and served as a clinical assistant professor of medicine at that facility for almost 30 years. In 1987, he formed Mount Auburn Community Independent Practice Association the most successful such entity in Massachusetts, which now has over 500 physicians and 70 employees. For the past 10 years of his career, he also served as medical director, senior vice president of Tufts Health Plans, a nonprofit HMO, recently rated number one in the U.S. by U.S. News and World Report. Uh, there's a lot of, it's a huge resume here. Dr. Gerstein has personally facilitated over 3,000 smart recovery meetings almost 800 in prisons. He has invented some of the tools currently used in the program, delivered over 100 lectures and workshops on smart recovery, including two at Harvard Addiction Symposiums, the International Association of Addiction Medicine, meeting in Helsinki, as well as other conferences. He was a keynote speaker at the Alcohol Concern Symposium on Smart Recovery in London and the Scottish Prison Systems Annual Conference in Glasgow and spoke at the most recent smart conference in Stoke-on-Trent. He and his wife introduced Smart Recovery into the UK. He served on the board of Smart Recovery UK and helped it to grow to its present sponsorship of almost 500 weekly meetings, over 80 in prisons. He and his wife also introduced Smart Recovery to Australia, which now boasts almost 200 weekly meetings. He still serves on the board of Smart Recovery in Australia. He's also responsible for the introduction of Smart Program in Uzbekistan, Vietnam, and South Africa. Well, Dr. Gerstein instigated the development of the inside-out correctional version of SMART involving a private company in obtaining a grant from the National Institute of Drug Abuse and helping SMART produce the videos submitted with the proposal. 
That's great. Um, he was also instrumental in the introductory of smart recovery into the Australian prison system, culminating in a remarkable study on 6,000 inmates demonstrating dramatic reductions in reoffending in those involved with smart meetings. Dr. Gerstein is responsible for the penetration of the Massachusetts medical environment by the Smart Recovery Program. That's good news. <laughs> Very good news. There have been over 28,000 smart meetings in Massachusetts since 1990. There are now 29 smart meetings in 16 different hospitals in Massachusetts, in addition to community and prison meetings. The SMART program has been integrated into two Harvard-affiliated hospitals where there are a total of 12 SMART meetings in-house and community, including McLean, Harvard's primary teaching hospital for mental health, John F. Kelly of MGH, Harvard's only professor of addiction medicine, is currently the volunteer director of research for SMART Recovery. Okay, I'm going to bring you on. Okay. Hi, hi, how are you? Hi, hi. I didn't realize you're going to read that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to my show. Well, it's pretty. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot of stuff in there, so I thought it'd be, be important well, for people I'm eight, to know. Well, I'm 80 years old, so I had plenty of time to accumulate a lot of activities. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm really, really glad to have you on, and happy to hear. I was unaware of some of the stuff, especially you, you getting into the hospitals. Um, it, you know, in Massachusetts, it would right. Yeah, yeah. So, how about if we just start with maybe a little introduction of going back to maybe some of the beginnings of how you began mm-hmm. and got involved in addiction treatment? Sure. Well, anyway, as I, I think I mentioned, I was a general internist and pain management specialist, and uh, in the in the uh, uh, activities involved in that naturally I accumulated some patients with addictions mm-hmm. and uh, in those days this goes back to 1967 actually when I started in practice in those oh. days there was really only one treatment that's all somebody had a problem with alcohol or drugs you sent them to AA if they mm-hmm. didn't go or wouldn't go or didn't like it you just kept bludgeoning them until they went, or or they didn't go, and that was the end of it. There really was no, well, there was no other option for someone who didn't have either a lot of money or very, very good insurance. Mm-hmm. In those days, insurance covered almost nothing as an outpatient, and uh, <clears throat> uh, and it didn't cover a lot as inpatient either, but it wasn't so exorbitant that it Today, so uh, I had people just sort of orbiting out there, you know. There was no cyberspace mm-hmm. at that time, but that's what they were doing. They were orbiting <laughs> in cyberspace because right. there, there was no place for them to go. I remember in particular one individual who, for one reason or another, he tried three AA meetings. He was a devout Catholic, so it wasn't a question that uh, he didn't believe in God or something like that. But every t- each time he went, he found something that, to seriously object to. Uh, first time, I think he said he goes to confession every week, and that's all. He's not going to confess to a bunch of strangers. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the second time, he said, I don't go for that touchy-feely stuff. I don't want to be hugging people I don't know. And each right. time, I, I poo-pooed his objections and you know, said, listen, this is a life-and-death situation. Your wife's already hired a lawyer to divorce you, and your your job at Raytheon is... They've given you two warnings and and so forth. And uh, he just, the third time, he just refused to go back. 
and I sent them to three different meetings, maybe like one. Um, right. And um, and uh, I asked for advice from various people. Psychiatrists didn't want to see these people, and it was like two addiction specialists in the city of Boston. You could wait like three months to to get an appointment with them. Mm-hmm. And and one man recommended, said, why don't you send them to a DUI meeting? I said, well, it's ridiculous. He didn't have a DUI. He said, there's nothing right. else, Joe. Just send them to the DUI meeting. So I sent them to the DUI meeting. And they, each time I said, I want to see you the next day. Mm-hmm. Each time he went to AA. And uh, I said, I want to see you the next day. He came back from the DUI meeting with a notebook, incidentally. Mm-hmm. And I said, how was it? He said, terrific. I said, what do you mean? He said, terrific. Mm-hmm. And then he started asking me questions. He said, well, they said, this is how it affects the liver. This is how it affects the brain. And and that's it. He, he stopped drinking. And uh, he kept going twice a week for whatever it was, three months or something, with his notebook. And that was the end of the problem. He and the wife wow. got back together. I followed him for 17 years. He never, he never had another problem. Wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. I used to see him every month because he had hypertension and diabetes. So that put a little bug in the back of my brain uh, right. that, you know, that AA was not a panacea <laughs> and that there right. were other ways to, to, to get over an addiction. Anyway, uh, time went on, maybe uh, another 10 years or so, and uh, I heard a talk by Jack Trimpey. He talked about his rational recovery program, and I said, okay, this is I had been looking for some kind of a social outreach program for a humanist organization that I was involved with. And I said, this is it. This is what we're going to do. Uh I never expected to get deeply involved personally with it because I was extremely busy uh, with my medical practice and my teaching and so forth, day and night, seven days a week proposition. And, um, but, however, I finally did get the thing started. I brought Jack Trippy to Boston, and uh, he gave a few talks. Uh, the addiction people in Boston didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, and we started one meeting. From all of that, getting him on the radio, getting an article in the newspaper and everything, we were able to start only one meeting. And uh, after about six weeks, a couple of the people from the meeting called me up. They didn't like the facilitator. It was a social work student. They were fighting with her. And uh, so they said, well, we want you to come to a meeting. <laughs> so I arranged to go to the meeting, and uh, they had told her don't, not to show up, the regular facilitator. And so I had to facilitate the meeting. And I hadn't even read Jack's book for a year, you know. I, I right. didn't know what the hell I was doing. And right. at the end of it, I was drenched with sweat. And I said, oh, my God, this is the end of this. This whole thing is an abortion. And I started walking out, and they said, well, you're going to come next week, aren't you? I said, well, I, I can't come. And they said, well, come, you have to come. And anyway, I said, okay, I'll, I'll come next. I'll come one more time. Anyway, I went home. I read the book again. I came back the next week. I did a little better job. I was pretty impressed with the guys who knew more about it than I did. There were no women in the group at that time. I mean, eight men. And... Uh, Sure enough, after about six weeks, I was really impressed with what was going on. And then occasionally I get a phone call from somebody say, I have a room in the such and such a library, or I have a room in the basement of the synagogue in Falmouth, Massachusetts. And each time it just uh, it started escalating. And uh, next, then I had the strategic vision that this was going to go around the world. 
that this was absolutely needed. It was a wonderful either supplement or alternative to the 12 steps, and that I had an obligation as a humanist to uh, foment it. And uh, I wasn't the only one who was doing it, but the other people were almost all mental health uh, professionals. I was not. Anyway, that's uh, we just kept piling up meetings and running around the countryside. And uh, my wife got involved. She said, I'll never see you if I get involved. <laughs> She's a, she was a nurse, and she was a terrific, she did about a 1,000 meetings. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, next thing we were traveling to Australia. She's Australian. And I said, yeah. well, why don't we give a few talks? Well, we gave a few talks, and over a period of years, a few people get interested, and now I have the opportunity of getting up 2.30 in the morning <laughs> every month to attend the uh, Australia Spot Recovery uh, board meeting. But uh, anyway, <laughs> it's been a big success. And then we got a call from a prison guard in Inverness, Scotland, and now we have 500 uh, meetings a week in the UK, and we had our annual conference in Stoke-on-Trent. Mm. So it's uh, it's now the number two self-help addiction program in the world. We have well over 2,000 meetings in 23 countries. And our uh, handbook's been published in uh, nine languages, plus a special edition for Australian Aboriginals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's it. So uh, obviously we've we've got something that people want, that people use. We've got 28,000 meetings in Massachusetts. No one's ever been paid a nickel. So mm-hmm. all all volunteer work, most of the volunteers are people who've been through the program successfully. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a science-based program. It's now we can say it's an evidence-based program. Mm-hmm. So for... 20, for 24, 23 years, we said it was a science-based program, but now we have two very impressive studies, um, one on uh, people with alcohol uh, addiction uh, mm-hmm. by, a, by an em- eminent United States uh, addictionologist uh, on 163 people who are virginal to smart recovery meetings. Mm-hmm. They did very well in uh, cutting down, becoming abstinent, all kinds of uh, measurements were done. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing that they came up with was that uh, the people who attended the group, because they were randomized, this was a randomized controlled study, the gold standard, uh, the people who were randomized to do smart recovery meetings online did exactly as well as the two other randomized groups who, who went to face-to-face meetings. So that was a very wow. useful piece of information. Right. And then last year, we got the Australian study, which was very, very dramatic. It was uh, such a good study that it was supposed to be published in September in the mm-hmm. Journal of Forensic Science. The editor called the uh, author of the study, the main author, and said, <laughs> this study is too good to bury in the journal. We, we want to make it a leading article. That is the first article in the journal and what's called an invited article, which means mm-hmm. the editor write, writes, a, writes a note about it, you know, an introduction. Mm-hmm. So it was delayed a few months, but it came out in January of 2016. And it's a huge, huge study, 6,000 inmates 
3,000 who were exposed to spine recovery and 3,000 who weren't, and all mm-hmm. kinds of addictions, any kind of addictions. Um, and the results uh, were the same for for people who had 10, at least 10, spine recovery meetings. Uh, the reduction in violent crime reconvictions was 43%, which is huge, huge. Huge. Mm -hmm. And it was cut across all ethnic groups, all educational levels. We have 6,000 people. You can find an awful lot out by just, you know, turning your computer on and punching out the data. Uh, All ethnic groups, different educational levels, different types of addictions, Mm-hmm. Males, females, uh, people who had the English as a first language, and people who didn't, aboriginals. Uh, it didn't make any difference. If you've got 10 SMAT meetings, you've got a very, very significant reduction in reconvictions from anything, and this especially this dramatic reduction in reconvictions for violent crimes. So uh, there are a lot of other studies yeah. out there now. Yeah, it's amazing. There are a lot of other studies out there. And uh, and these were coerced meetings. They didn't ask people, do you want to come? I've done about almost 800 uh, prison meetings, but most of my meetings have been voluntary. People have wanted to come to them. Or they wanted to get out of their cells. You never know in, a, in prison. But at least they, they could have gone to an AA meeting and sat in the back of the room instead of having an interactive uh, smiling. But... At any rate, um, I, I haven't had a lot of experience with coerced meetings. Some, they're obviously much more difficult to prove. But the meetings in Australian prisons, these were coerced. People were told, you will get a smile mm-hmm. or you won't get smart. So that's really a, kind of a remarkable uh, result. <clears throat> Incidentally and interestingly, beyond 10 meetings, there was no further improvement. So I... I uh, say that signifies that if you get it or you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not for everybody, just like AA right, is right. Not for, it's not for everybody. But for those who resonate with it, it has seems to have a very profound effect on people. Now, uh, this is fantastic. Uh, maybe when we're off the phone, if you'd send me the link to both the, the study that was done sure. in the U.S. and this one, and then I can mm-hmm. post it on my yeah. blog. And in I'll my send Facebook. you... I'll, I'll, uh, did you ever hear of William White? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so William White's a very famous American researcher. He's written two treatises about uh, the treatment of alcoholism. And um, he, uh, he's gotten interested in smart recovery. As a matter of fact, he's holding our archives of the rational recovery and smart recovery archives. He's He's got them in case a PhD student never wants to look look up how how we developed. Uh, he's got all the correspondence and the written materials and whatever. Anyway, recently, spontaneously, he he did a he and his wife did a bibliography, a complete bibliography of smile recovery up to the minute, and it's now published on his website. So uh, I'll get you that link and uh, okay. do that. So there's all kinds of studies in there. Um, how did so? When I first found out about Smart, when I met Tom, it was probably in 2011. I found out about it maybe on 2010, um, and uh, it's really grown. I think it was there were maybe 800 meetings, and then it went to 1,200. 
um, you know, in the United States in 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would right. say a big growth um, when I was on Katie Couric, you know, and just mentioned it, I guess, mm-hmm. the meetings the next day. There were a lot of women that showed up uh, when mm-hmm. Gabrielle Glaser wrote her book. Um, different people, you know, finally speaking mm-hmm. about it, getting more forum. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot mm-hmm. of us feel that there's still, and I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're getting reinvolved. You know, it's really, uh, I think, an important part. I think the people want harm reduction, they want moderation, and they want smart. Uh, some people mm-hmm. have gone for mm-hmm. women for sobriety, or whether it's. But this is mm-hmm. the biggest one, and because you have something that's you can really hold on to, which is that cognitive behavioral therapy. So with that, sure. I'd like sure. to just educate some people who might be listening mm-hmm. who don't know what SMART stands for, and then tell mm-hmm. us a little bit if you go to a meeting. Um, I mean, I've gone to some meetings to and read the books to understand it. Explain mm. uh, what I was talking about. So, if you could just a little bit, just give us a little background sure. on the actual sure. program. Sure, the actual program and the meeting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. the program evolves. We say it's a science-based program. So clearly, as science evolves, the program evolves. As we get more and more experience, the program evolves. As my CV said, I've invented two of the tools. And, uh, you know, I actually, if I'd done 3,000 meetings and hadn't invented any tools, I'd be pretty stupid because <laughs> you, you just accumulate a huge amount of insight and material uh, from people and what they're telling you, what seems to work, what doesn't work, and so forth. And, um, and so that's the most important point. We're, we're up to the minute in terms of what is going on. Um, in the beginning, we didn't have a tool called motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist. Yeah. In actuality, my my wife sort of discovered it in 1990 and 1991, but we didn't do anything with it. We, we found out that uh, women were more likely to leave the meetings after coming to their initial meeting and maybe follow-up meetings than men, and she, she didn't like that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she started mm-hmm. investigating it. And she found out that we were we were using rational emotive behavior therapy at that time, and part of that is a very vigorous disputation. And she found out from uh, she tracked a number of uh, groups. Uh, the first clue was that uh, groups that had a woman facilitator didn't lose the women, and the one group that had a male and a female facilitator lose the women. So she began tracking that down and she, she figured out what the problem was. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what, she, what we did evolve is something very similar to motivational interviewing. She gave a few lectures about it and that, that was the end of it. We incorporated that approach, a less aggressive, less confrontational mm-hmm. approach. Right. Uh, and things worked out. The women stopped leaving the meetings and so forth. So in the beginning, she ran two women's meetings, and then after us, she said, I don't think we need them anymore. Now, later on, the concept was developed and studied and so forth by uh, 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 Miller and Rolnick, and it's become a standard, not only in in addictions, but it's, it's infiltrated into medicine, into how to get people to take their medications and things like that. So that's a very important addition. And when that came along in a formal way, so we incorporated it. Uh, oh. we, we equal opportunity uh, uh, 
plagiarists of any good science, which is what science is about. You're supposed to adopt to new developments and the things that are proven to work and so forth. So that's what we do. Now, the, the, the two fundamental EDROC programs involved in spine recovery are, number one, cognitive behavioral therapy and its twin brother or sister, rational motor behavior therapy. So those are the, the, that's the bedrock programs. Those are clearly scientifically valid as appropriate approaches to and useful and effective approaches to addictions of all kinds. And uh, the second bedrock program is motivational interview. We don't tell anybody what to do. Uh, that's the most important discovery of the last 30 years in, in um, mental health and in addictions. Uh, people don't like it, and they get resentful and, and recalcitrant, and they do the opposite, just like two-year-old kids. We're right. all right into that, especially in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we, My wife and I did training in Vietnam. We trained 18 psychiatrists in Vietnam wow. and smart recovery, and the toughest thing to get them to understand was motivational interviewing. They come from an authoritarian society, an autocratic society, mm-hmm. a paternalistic mm-hmm patriarchal society, and mm-hmm. they had a tough, tough time with that. So uh, hopefully, eventually, we, we got them to, to conceptualize it more appropriately. So those are the two. And then we have, uh, we have smatterings of other things. One's called solution-focused therapy. The idea mm-hmm. of that is that uh, people can figure out a solution for their own problems. Just to give you an example, someone might say, well, my urges are terrible. I can't stop them. They're so powerful. And I said, well, have you ever had an urge that you didn't satisfy? Yeah. How'd you do it? Okay. So so the seeds of how you're going to do it are in. I've never run into anyone yet who said, I never was able to resist an urge. So anyway, we try to incorporate that. Then we have another thing called stages of change, a very important concept because people uh, go through various stages, usually gradually over a period of years, getting over an addiction. They Mm -hmm. move through various stages. It's been very well documented. Um, A few people don't. They just suddenly just see the light and stop. But the great majority of people... I go through these changes gradually. And so our program is pointed towards moving them along, not getting them to go from the contemplation stage to total abstinence. Not going to happen, just going to have them cracking their heads against the wall. <laughs> that may be the goal. When I, when I give talks, I say it's an abstinence-oriented program. Mm-hmm. So we let them know that that's, that's where the focus of the program is. It's not a moderation program. We're not going right. to tell anybody how to moderate. They can get that somewhere else. It works right. for a lot of people, but uh, 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 not for people who are addicted. They're very careful about that. Mm-hmm. If you're addicted, they don't want you in that program. Matter of fact, they make you start for a month before you start the program. So obviously, if you can't stop for a month, it's, you're not you're not ready for it. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so stages of change is also uh, part of it. 
And so our facilitators try to pick up where someone is and then meet them where they are and try to move them along to the next stage. Um, So, uh, and then the last thing is uh, what we call brief motivational enhancement. So motivation is the important, the most important element in recovery. We know that because a lot of people recover on their own. So they only do it on motivation. Maybe they read a book or something, but... uh, but they they basically decide to stop and they stop and they figure out how to do it themselves. When I give talks, uh, introductory talks, someone might say, well, what's the most important thing? You know, if you want to recover, what what element's the most important? I say, well, number one, motivation. Uh Number two, motivation. Number three, motivation. So, I mean, clearly that is the, the critical factor. Uh, so if we detect that person isn't highly motivated, so that's what we work on. When we started the program, actually, back in the rational recovery days, we didn't have anything for motivation. <laughs> and, uh, we yeah. figured if people came to recovery meeting, guess what? They wanted to recover. No. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people at recovery meetings who are very ambivalent about mm-hmm. whether they want to recover or not. So after about six months or so, I said, hey, we have to have some motivational tools. There's a lot of people in here who yeah. really aren't I'm ready to move ahead out of the contemplation phase, you know. So anyway, so what you we did. Yeah, what did you come up with? We, we, yeah. we, we came up, first one was the cost-benefit analysis, which is a standard uh-huh. uh, econom- economics approach. Economists talk about cost-benefit Analysis is how people make their financial and business decisions. Right. As we know, there's more to it than that. A fashion uh-huh. wouldn't exist. But, um, and then about uh, 15 years after I started doing this, I came up with something called hierarchy of values. Uh-huh. I suddenly became aware that a violation of their value system was a major code for people to stop drinking and drugging and gambling. And uh, But uh, I codified it into a program because I stole the idea from Abraham Maslow, who had the hierarchy of needs. Right. And I came up with it in the middle, in the middle of a meeting. And uh-huh. someone who was extremely ambivalent, meeting after meeting after meeting. And, right. and I finally said, how can I get this guy to get some more insight into this? And so I said, put it up on the board. I want you to write up your most important values from... One to one to five, and, and they were all intensely conflicted with his drinking and his desire to have access to alcohol, and mm-hmm. it was sort of dramatic. And at right. uh, the next meeting, he said, "I've decided to stop." <laughs> so, so uh, I said, "Wow, this is this is pretty potent." Now we right. have a lot of nuances. We have about four different versions of this for different situations because other people, you know, took it and, and, and uh, you know, it's like a big laboratory with thousands of meetings going on and people experiment with different ways of doing it. So I'd say right now there's four four ways or, or formats of doing this that people have found useful. But it's probably our most useful tools. Matter of fact, um, two two women from... Prince Edward Island, Charlotte is the capital. It's the smallest province in Canada, I think. And they decided 
to do something about the addiction problem in their community. They didn't have any personal or family involvement with it. And uh, somebody posted a, a radio interview with them, a streamed interview right. on our listserv, and I went and listened to it. And uh, geez, it was really impressive, these women. Uh, I don't think either of them had been to college. They they went online. They discovered Smart Recovery. They decided to take the facilitator training. Incidentally, we're training 200, over 200 people a month now. They took the online facilitator training, and the interviewer questioned them very closely, and they were very astute. They they really knew what they were talking about. I was really (laughs) impressed. And I said, wow, I said, I'm going to check up on these people in about six months and see how they're doing. They were about to start. Each was going to start a meeting in Charlotte. Well, periodically I thought about it, but I I never got around. I was busy as hell. I never got around. To check okay. in on it, but a year a year afterwards, there was a newspaper article in the Prince Edward Island Daily Bugle or something, and okay. uh, somebody streamed that, and I read the article. They had five meetings going now, five oh. in Charlotte, oh. and the reason for the newspaper article was they were moving to the suburbs now. They had two meetings starting in the suburbs, and that's what that's what occasioned the newspaper article. So uh-huh. th- this is a program that can be assimilated by lay people. Uh, they have to yeah, have a I certain like level of intelligence and a certain level of people skills and uh-huh. motivation, but obviously yeah. it can be done. It was done. In, in British Columbia, the province of Canada, British Columbia, uh-huh. uh, I think there's 3 million people in British Columbia, very big, big area very few cities and towns. Uh, I think there's only two cities, actually, Vancouver and Victoria. The rest are all right. little towns. Um, there's 60 smart recovery meetings there. 60. Wow. <laughs> so I was curious. I, 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 and then I saw one, one month, about five months ago, there were 20 people training to be facilitators. The mm. next month there were 12 people. So I said to myself, what the hell is going on in British Columbia? Yeah. Uh, and we didn't even have a regional coordinator up there. It's just all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I watched till somebody posted on the listserv, and then I jumped on that email address and contacted this gentleman and asked him the question, what is going on there? Yeah. So he responded. It's an interesting guy. He was almost 90 and was just about dead from alcoholism. Many had, I think he had seven rehabs. But in his seventh rehab, just when he was about to leave, he saw a notice posted on the board, it's my recovery meeting. So he went to the meeting. He said, hey, this is great. (laughs) He started going to the meetings. He stopped drinking. He took the facilitated training. He became a facilitator. (laughs) And... uh, but the response was interesting. He said, well, the government of British Columbia yeah. has declared that they're not giving money to any program, any clinic, any rehab that doesn't use evidence-based methodology. Mm. That was that. So everybody looked around for a program. They found, they found spot recovery. They started using it. When the people got out of the rehabs, 
clinics. They they started going to meetings and getting training and whatever, and that's it. So every dinky little town, Telegraph Cove, Penticton, these little towns, they all have a staff recovery meeting. So it's clearly uh, accessible. Yes. Uh, and uh, certainly AA is accessible to anyone. So uh, it's anybody that comes to smart recovery meetings either has failed AA, doesn't like AA, or never went to AA because their their uh, professional person recognized that their personality type and worldview was more appropriate for smart recovery. I'd say we get about 40% direct referrals now in Massachusetts. That is to say... A person goes either to a clinic or an emergency room or a private psychologist or something, and that person questions them about what their philosophy of life is, what their their issue about religion, and so forth. And then about 40% are referred directly to smart recovery. Never used to be. In the beginning, almost everybody had been through AA. And also, I just do want to say, there's nothing against AA. Wonderful program. Kept its nose clean for 80 years now. Just not for everyone. Uh, that's well, obvious. They well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, if you don't know me, I mean, I, I don't think it's a wonderful program, AA, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. problems with it. And they haven't, they haven't kept their nose clean, and they haven't done stuff to keep their members safe. But you know, uh, so I, I don't. I'd have to. I have to say it that with AA, that, that mm-hmm. one of the big differences with SMART is that you do have a sexual harassment training policy, and there's a zero tolerance for it. Um, true, you know, AA true. has been addressed to do it, and they've mm-hmm. not done anything. I mean, uh, so I mean, the, my work was all done about that, and they think it's yeah, yeah. anyway. It's a, AA has a lot of problems <clears throat> besides being from the 30s and. All the mm-hmm. reasons why you know the men who people that you met didn't like it, which we could. I don't want to get into it too much, but I I just have to say that that it's <laughs> not idea. It's not a great program, <laughs> right. In my yeah. in my opinion, and it's harmed a lot of people. Monica. Yeah, yep. incidentally, yep. Uh, the we have a small number of people, but who go to both programs. And yeah, I, I do they know like that them both. Now, they yeah. get something from both. Yeah, I'd yeah. say about thirty yeah. percent of people go at least occasionally to an AA. Of an A meeting, maybe they need one that night, and there's not one not a smart meeting close them or whatever. Now, certainly, we're well aware of the problems with AA because we get the rejects, we get the people who have had bad experiences or have been mainly coerced. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to AA, we say we're into choice. People should not be coerced into a twelve-step program. As a matter of fact, the courts have said for anybody who's Atheist or agnostic, it's illegal. It's unconstitutional. It still happens all the time, but the courts sure, are very clear on that. Seven, seven circuit courts, U.S. circuit courts of appeal decisions, three state Supreme Court decisions, all uniformly clear. Twelve-step programs are pervasively religious, and no, no one who wishes on religious grounds a Buddhist, an atheist, a Gnostic, a free thinker, a humanist, uh, not to attend 12-step meetings should ever be coerced by any state organ or any clinic or hospital or, or prison that is receiving federal funds, which is almost everybody. Yeah, so, so let me just say this. Everybody, I just want to do a little quick break for anyone who's listening. We're, mm-hmm. we're talking to Dr. Sure. Joe 
Gerstein, and he is from Massachusetts, the founding father of uh, Smart Recovery, and is now uh, re-entered as the new president again of Smart Recovery. Just wanted to let people know who I'm talking to. Now, on that note, though, all right, what states' uh, Supreme Courts ruled on that? Because I've known of the civil... Yeah, New York, Tennessee, and Indiana. Okay, New York. No wonder um, Tennessee. Now the uh, problem the we, we find is that California is really bad, and everybody gets you know really yep. bullied, and the pilots get extorted, nurses extorted to mm-hmm. go. It's more mm-hmm. than just a coerced. Yep. You're aware of that, correct? Sure, of course. Yeah, hear it all the time. Yeah. yeah, like um, and I think one of the biggest. But that's not uh, AA's fault. I mean, that's not AA's fault. That's the fault of this, the civil authorities who are not following the appropriate constitutional Yeah, uh, no, it's not AA's fault. They, they sought it. I mean, AA has committees that seek out in every department. Those AA members created, you know, birds of a feather. When you say AA's mm-hmm. fault, like if there's some, you know, sphere hanging over New York, you know, it's a big... I mean, I was in it, Joe, for 35 years, so 36 yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, it is it, they, they, it is their fault. They've certainly done it and 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 pursue it like proselytizing religion, you know, as Lance Doty yeah. says in my film. I well, mean, when they, you say they, I think you have to be careful when you say they, because, you know, Bill W. was very clear on this. He, he was very clear on saying we don't have a unique... Uh, capacity to take care of uh, of uh, addiction addiction mm-hmm. i think he was referring to alcoholism at that time very clear he wrote two articles follow-up articles in the grapevine to state this very clearly and we don't have a monopoly and so forth uh, unfortunately the, the the gestalt of the organization is a cultic kind of gestalt and people become fanatics about we have people who are fanatics about smart recovery we have to it's to close them down, you know, uh, because uh, they think it should be for everybody, you know, because it was great for them. So this is a, this is a human frailty. Um, uh, so there's an official dogma. For instance, the dogma about about the medications. So the official right. policy of AA is very clear. It's almost the same as our policy. Appropriately prescribed medications for addictions or for the underlying psychological problems, entirely appropriate. And yet, in reality, out in the meetings, it's obviously uh, often interdicted or contradicted. So, so th- there is a distinction there. We should we should recognize that between the policy and the in quotes the old timers who still want to enforce the. The, the discipline that was going on 40, 50 years ago, when there really was no no treatment, no medical treatment for uh, alcoholism. Anyway, let's get off that topic. That's enough yeah, on we, that topic. Yeah, People yeah, can figure it out we, for themselves. Yeah. We, we could certainly have a good um, conversation about it, but I wanted to ask you more of how we can sort of, uh, you know, help it grow. And we have serious problems with, you know, it being in our culture that here, so about it's a disease, and so there's no way that it's a disease, mm-hmm. and especially when you at the beginning of our interview, you know, um, where you talk about people how they changed by being motivated, like that, you know, I can't right. change my right. breast cancer by being motivated, right? right? I right. mean, and we right. have a drug czar, you know, who who is an AA member. We have people all in Hollywood who keep saying. 
oh, it's like oh, the whole show will be great. And I was watching a show the other night, and I was like, what does that have to do with mm-hmm. anything? It's oh, alcoholism is a disease, and that's the end of that. And it's like this promotion of it. Are there any writers? Are there any screenwriters that are recovered from Smart? Uh, you know, who maybe are finally going to tell a narrative, or is somebody going to write a book that's a narrative where you can reach our well, culture? Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know look, what I mean? we're all yes, we're, we're all uh, impatient with the rate of spread and acceptance of smart recovery. Uh, We would like it to be triple what it is, but it is pretty impressive now. I think it's pretty good. We're training training 200 people a month, one month Mm -hmm. 250. And 70% of these people are professionals or students training to be professionals. So clearly... There is a there is a a wave of interest and involvement and so forth. In Massachusetts, we're just beginning to penetrate the rehabs now. Mm-hmm. So we have six rehabs that have on-site smart meetings or uh, uh, transport their members to local smart recovery meetings. That's a big breakthrough. I- it is. It's. I, I'm really impressed. Like yeah. that. There's 28,000 smart meetings in Massachusetts alone. No, no, no. no like, there's not 28. There's not oh, 28. Oh. There have been 28,000 oh. meetings. Oh, okay. I <laughs> yeah. There's, there's about there's about 60 meetings a week. There's about 60 meetings per week. So that. It, but they're in the hospitals escalated. too, though, Joe. I mean, I think that's yes. a huge deal. I don't think there's any hospital here. You're not in Cedars. No. You're not if you go to UCLA uh, or Cedars, you're forced to go right, to an AA meeting. Right. Right. We need you there. So, I mean, I, you know. Mm. Right. Hey, we're we're available, but uh, <laughs> it'll it'll happen. But I, I obviously we would like to accelerate. We now have meetings at Hazelden Betty Ford. So we have uh three meetings a week in the outpatient uh, West Los Angeles outpatient facility of uh of Hazelden Betty Ford two regular smart meetings and a family and friends meeting. I should maybe mention just very briefly family and friends because this is a relatively new program, about six Mm -hmm. years, I think. So we did it online for a couple of years. It's, it's again, a science-based program. It has two, two thrusts. The first is of course, support and encouragement for the people who are affiliated with someone with an addiction, which is an extremely mm-hmm. difficult role to be in. And, uh, and uh, Al-Anon tries to do the same sort of thing. But that's where it stops, where we have a second thrust, which is what's called CRAFT, Community Reinforcement and Family Training. And this right. is a, a very well-worked-out scientific concept. It's been worked out experimentally, so it's an evidence-based concept uh, for how to get people to be able to help their loved one, their affiliate, uh, to mm-hmm. get help, right. to go for help, to get to get therapy, to go to meetings and so forth. Um, so it's a, it's a positive reinforcement, not a confrontational approach. So it's congruent with motivational interviewing. So we've had a big success with it in Massachusetts. Um, I think we have about 40 meetings going on around the country now. It's 
great. Uh, and this three online. And we're mm-hmm. gradually, you know, spread, spreading it out. And my own experience has been rather dramatic because uh, I was uh, running one of the one of the regular smart recovery meetings at McLean Hospital for a couple of weeks when the regular facilitator was away. And two different people showed up at the meeting and said the reason they came was their spouse went to the family and friends meeting once. And then when they came home, things were different. <laughs> couldn't put their finger on it, but the next week they went to right. my recovery meeting. So right. it does change people, change their attitude, yeah. uh, get them to understand how to motivate their loved one without screaming and yelling and threatening and all of that stuff, which doesn't work. If it worked, there wouldn't be any problem. You know, I sometimes I sometimes tell people in my intros, I said, you know, if telling people to stop worked. No one would be here. Right. No one would be right. at this at this detox, okay? Is there anyone here who's never been told they better stop or else nobody puts their hand up? I have in, in about a hundred talks I had one person put his hand up. He said, No one told me I figured it out for myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, he may have seen some bad body language or other, you know, eye roll right. or things like that. So so um uh, so this is a, a new program now that we're doing, and uh, hopefully it will uh, keep spreading. Um, the, uh, as I say, the movement into rehabs now, rehabs mm-hmm. been ex- have been extremely recalcitrant. Yeah. Uh, I think for two reasons. One, most of this staff is made up of people who have been through AA or NA right. in the past. This is gradually changing. They're getting mm-hmm. more people now who are professionals and through bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, PhDs in, in you know, psychology or something and or counseling. And so those people are uh, more uh, likely to be comfortable with the smart recovery approach. Um, the second thing is... Um, uh, all when when the JCAH, the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Hospitals, visits a rehab, they always ask them, "Do you have an alternative program for someone who doesn't want the twelve-step program?" Mm-hmm. They always respond yes, and then the people from JCAH say, "Let's see it." They reach mm-hmm. into their desk drawer where they keep this program never taking it out except when JCAH is there and they show it to them. It's usually a cognitive behavioral program and Mm -hmm. the people from JCAH who are willingly complicit in this sham say, "Uh, okay. (laughs) And and they say, do you you give it to anybody who asks it? Sure. But guess what? Nobody asks for it because they don't know that it's there. Or if they do ask for it, they, they fluff them off. So uh, that that's a bit a big problem, and they've been allowed to get away with it for many, many, many years. And this is probably a thousand institutions, and they have these fake, fake uh, certification organizations that are made up of, you know, the leadership of various rehabs that go around <laughs> and certify rehabs and right. don't really insist on science-based programs. The uh, the recent Cochrane study. I don't know if you know about this. No. Um, is uh, the Cochrane 
uh, Institute is here in, in, not here, I'm in Miami now, I say here from my Boston days. Um, right. Uh, stationed at the New England Medical Center in Tufts New England Medical Center in Boston. And uh, it does very sophisticated literature reviews with very rigid scientific criteria. Mm-hmm. And they rate studies, you know, like on a one to ten basis on right. how good they are in terms of their planning and their methodology and their statistics and so forth. And they recently reviewed, um, 12, uh, I think it was the Alcoholics Anonymous, not 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 twelve step program, but just the program as it uh, its major component, Alcoholics Anonymous. And they came up with the conclusion that there is no credible evidence of its efficacy. Uh, now, I mean, what they consider credible evidence is, you know, <laughs> is is obviously they have criteria and, and uh, yeah. they decide uh, if there's at least one study, a really good study, that would be credible right. evidence. <laughs> so when they say there's no credible evidence, that means there's not one single good study, really good study, uh, one that's viable and, and defensible. Now, I, I must say, very, very difficult to do a good scientific study on an anonymous kind of voluntary program. It's notoriously difficult. I was mm-hmm. at a uh, meeting of the American Society of Addiction Medicine in Atlanta, I think 1995, and one of the talks was by a man named Chad Emrick, E-M-R-I-C-H. So he was an associate professor at the University of Colorado in Denver, and he had spent 10 years trying to prove the efficacy of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. So he presented all this data, and then he said, here was my conclusion after 10 years of work. He said, and incidentally, I'm moving on now to something else. It works for those for whom it works. Wow, what's that's his it. name again? That's what's, it. Yeah, that's Chad. Yeah, so that's Chad Emrick, E M R I C H. Okay, R I C H. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, the, the links for all these things you've talked about, maybe I'll send you an email, and if you okay, could send them to me, I'd I'll, love to. I'll, I want to go. You in. Yeah. I want sure. to go on go to ahead. one other subject that is we haven't yep. touched on that um, I think is an important one, and that is colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a tendency to. Know, all of us in A has done it too, but I think that young people, it's better if we go into, you know, whether it's a journalism school or a medical school or colleges mm-hmm. to provide a program when kids are having trouble at schools. And, um, you know, and I know that uh, it's, it takes money, you know, to have signs and to bench ads to say, is AA not working for you? How about a smart meeting or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it could happen down the line. But is there yeah. any... Yeah. Uh, a, a, is there any success at a university or college where there's people that are um, making it available on the, you know, campuses? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's two areas that, that we have endeavored to get into, but we haven't had great penetration. One is colleges. The mm-hmm. other is uh, oh, adolescents. Oh, you've tried. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we've tried in a, you know, in a, uh, 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 not terribly aggressive way because we don't have the resources to do that. Right, 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 um, right. 
we do have i i notice i get a notice every month of all the people who are taking the training and um one of the things is listed is their affiliation and then they have a little space where they can put them in why why am I taking the training right so there's always one or two who say spot saved my life so that's pretty obvious why they're doing it and then there's maybe five or six who say spot changed my life so pretty obviously why they're doing it though and then uh, there are a lot of professionals are doing it because somebody at their clinic wants to start a spot recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And um, there's always a few from a university to say, we want to get a spot program going. And um, I I don't know how many there are now. I would just off the top of my head, I would say 10 or 12 university Mm -hmm. meetings. Mm -hmm. Right. So we could, Maybe we can get a student who wants to do a research project to make contact. Uh, we have a skeleton staff. We've got, I think, five people at our central office. Mm-hmm. They all work for ridiculous salaries. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the president, and I'm telling you that. And I tell them they're working for ridiculous salaries. I admit it, okay? How can we change so, that? Uh, yeah, it would be nice to change it. But, how can we change uh, that? Anyway, uh, I don't know how. <laughs> well, I, mean, how, I would okay? love to change yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Send us a half a million dollars to change it. Okay. Anyway, they're dedicated. They're dedicated hey, listen, you know, you know how AA changed it? Some facts. So you had the head of IBM was a drunk, and he, yeah, yeah. he was introduced yeah. to Marty Mann. Miss Wick. And, and Miss she Wick. created yeah. National, you know what I mean? And then yeah, 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 he, he yeah. gave her yeah. the money. Well, they have that a lot then, of money now. Their, uh, their president gets, I think, something like, Seven hundred thousand dollars. It's only four hundred thousand, but she only works about twenty-four hours a week, so she says. <laughs> so anyway, we're not in that league, and uh, that's it. It's a hand-to-mouth thing with us, and whatever. So there's about five people there, and they're all flat out, and uh, we certainly can't beat them anymore with a stick because <laughs> they're not. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they're working long hours, whatever. They're dedicated. So. So that's it. So there's a lot of things we would like to do, but we can't do them. Uh, so we have to do the absolutely critical thing, report, re, uh, support the meetings that are out there, and keep, right. keep starting new meetings as many as possible and as fast as possible. Those those are the main things. Uh, don't forget we're also supporting a big international network, which gives us nothing. You know, I say we're in 23 countries, but... Uh, 21 of those countries don't give us anything. And Australia and uh, uh, UK, you know, make small license license fee payments because this is a this is a work of love, a work of uh, uh, social social uh, significance and social validity and so forth. So that's that's why we're doing it. Uh, so there are a lot of things we would like to do and we can't do. But uh, I think we're wrapping it up. Dollars. We have just like a minute yep. minute left, and okay. I, I want to thank you because I I've, I yeah. know that it's grown tremendously since I was introduced to it in '09 and I in '010. I just I mean 2010. I really am was happy to have you. Grateful to have you. You're doing a great mm-hmm. job, and I'm be in touch, and we'll send you. Um, some copy of the movie, and I'd love to interview you again if you'd like to do that. Okay. Um, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Thanks again. That was Dr. Right. Joe Gerstein.
out of Massachusetts, and we hope that you have a great day. And check out Smart Recovery online in the Facebook page. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Monica. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.